Hi, I'm Miss Tyler, and welcome to this week's episode of Context for Kids, where I teach you guys things most adults don't even know. If this is your first time hearing, or if you've missed anything, you can find all the episodes archived at contextforkids.podbean.com, which has them downloadable, or on my Context for Kids YouTube channel, or at contextforkids.com, where I have transcripts for readers. You know what? I've got allergies right now. It's this time of year. It's getting to be fall and everything's just kind of like kicking up. It's been raining like crazy. So I'm going to be sniffing and everything. So just hang with me, guys. Anyway, so parents, all scripture this week comes from the MTV, the Miss Tyler version, which is the Christian Standard Bible tweaked a bit to make it easier for kids to understand the content and the context without reading an entire chapter every week. Okay, this is Genesis 16. Abram's wife Sarai hadn't been able to have any babies, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, the Lord isn't letting me have any babies. Go to my slave. Maybe I can build a family through her instead. And Abram agreed to do what Sarai said. So Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan 10 years. Hagar became pregnant. When she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress, Sarai, became contemptible to her, hateful to her. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for my suffering. I gave you my slave for a wife. And when she saw she was pregnant, I became contemptible, disgusting, and hated to her. May the Lord judge between me and you. Abram replied to Sarai, Look, she's still your slave, and you have the power over her. Do whatever you want with her. Then Sarai abused her so much that Hagar ran away from home. This is a really sad story. Last week, we talked about how you know, where Abram and Sarai came from. If a woman couldn't have a baby, she could force someone else to have a baby for her as long as that someone else was a slave she owned. That's just one of the many reasons why slavery is so evil. Hagar had been loyally serving Sarai since they left Egypt. But I want you to notice something important. In the entire scripture we read today, and actually, for as long as Hagar is in the Bible, neither Sarai nor Abram call Hagar by her name. Not even once. They call her my slave or your slave. How would you feel if somebody called you something like that? Have you ever been in a situation where someone just wouldn't even act like you were a real person? I hope not. That's a terrible thing to do to someone else. After all, we're all created to be God's image bearers, showing the world what he is like by how we act. It doesn't matter how young we are or how old we are. But that isn't how Abram and Sarai are treating Hagar, because in that world, it was normal to see people who were enslaved like they were just less than nothing. Normal is just the way things tend to be. But we can't ever make the mistake of confusing what is normal with what is good. Remember that God chose Abram and Sarai because he wanted to change the world 
into his kingdom and not because he thought they were doing everything right. Thinking of it that way helps us to deal with the bad things that happen in the Bible. We can know that the ancient world wasn't what God wanted, but that he was working to fix it. God didn't give commandments because we were all that good at loving each other, but because we were awful at it. And I'm sure you've noticed that we still aren't particularly good at it. We've talked before about honor shame societies. The people at the top of the honor heap were treated well by everyone, but those at the bottom were treated very badly. We know because of Jesus that the child of someone begging on the street for food is every bit as worthy of God's love and our love as the child of a king or a queen. But they didn't know that. And they didn't act like it was true either. They believed that whatever happened to people was exactly what they deserved. If someone was a slave, then it must be because they'd done something really wrong, or they were worshiping the wrong gods, or they were just born inferior. We know that isn't true anymore, but in a lot of places, they still believe that. And all the time Hagar had been with Sarai, Sarai had always had a lot more honor. First, she was one of the wives of Pharaoh, living in a palace and being pampered until Pharaoh found out that she was actually Abram's wife and not just his sister. And when Pharaoh let her go, she was still the most powerful woman in their household. Hagar had probably counted herself lucky to be serving Sarai and not some of the other jobs she could have been doing. As a lady's maid, she was trained to take care of noble women, life, which means rich women. Life would have always been harder in Canaan than it had been in Egypt, but in some ways it was also better. She was probably always frightened living in Pharaoh's palace because there are many powerful people and if she made one angry, terrible things might happen to her. Let's have a what-if story about Hagar, Abram, and Sarai. I will take what I know about the ancient world and will explore what I think might have been going on while Hagar was pregnant with a baby, Abram's baby, her baby too. It would have been strange for her to be given to Abram as a wife. He was very old, but Hagar obeyed her mistress Sarai. Who knows? Maybe things would go better for her than just being a slave. After all, Abram was rich and powerful, so her children would be as well. She didn't have a choice, and so she'd have to make the best of it, whether she liked it or not. She was still a slave. She had no control over what was happening to her, good or bad. But when she found out she was going to have a baby, Sarai was excited. Abram was excited. Everyone in the entire household was excited. Suddenly, everyone knew Hagar's name, and they treated her very special. They would point, whisper, and get out of her way when she walked along. Sometimes she could even hear the other women giggling about Sarai not being able to have a baby and wondering what Abram would do once Hagar's child was born. That kind of talk had always bothered her before. But as she thought about it, she could give Abram the son he wanted and maybe many sons. And if she did that, maybe she would be the head wife instead of old Baron Sarai. 
As Hagar thought about it more and more, it became hard not to be affected by all the talk and all the looks she was getting. For the first time in her life, she was a someone. She was more important than anyone except Abram because she could give him the son he had waited for all his life. And he was almost 90. And she began to wonder why she should keep serving Sarai. After all, wasn't she the mother of the heir to all the wealth she saw around her? Her children would inherit all the animals, tents, and slaves of Abram. And that would make her very powerful. Yeah, Sarai said the child would belong to herself, but certainly. Once Abram had one child, he'd want more, giving Hagar the power to keep her child for herself. No man in his right mind wanted only one son, after all. Life in the wilderness was difficult and hot. Hagar was often exhausted because of her pregnancy. Her feet were hurting more, and oftentimes when Sarai would give her orders, she would just find a way to get out of them. But as time passed by, Hagar grew more and more resentful of being bossed around by a woman who couldn't even have a baby, and she began to talk back. Maybe you haven't noticed here, but I have a very important job providing an heir to the clan. I don't want to lose this baby, so you need to find someone else to do your work for you. Sarai was absolutely stunned. No one in her life had ever spoken that way to her. At least not since she'd become Abram's wife. And this slave girl, whom Sarai had made a surrogate wife to her husband so she could have a child at last, she was entirely ungrateful and acting as though she was the mistress of the household. How dare she? And yet, Sarai didn't know what to do because Hagar was carrying her husband's child, and they needed that child very badly. Everyone in the household needed that child. Sarai wanted to get a stick and beat Hagar to teach her a lesson, but she didn't dare lay a finger on her unless Abram said she could. Hagar had all the power at the moment because of that baby. Sarai's cheeks burned hot with resentment and anger. She was almost 80, and she'd wanted a baby for so long. And this girl was not much more than a child in comparison and getting bigger every single day. It had been so hard for Sarai to watch without becoming jealous. It didn't even seem remotely fair. Sarai had only one option available. She had to go to Abram to get this situation straightened out. Sarai found Abram lingering outside her tent in the heat of the afternoon. He saw her and smiled. She was worth far more to him than any ten sons. But Sarai wasn't smiling. She'd been crying, he could tell. and She was also angry. He ducked into her tent so she could speak to him in privacy. He didn't know who she was angry at, but she didn't keep him in suspense for long. Sarai hissed at him, "'Husband, you have wronged me, and I'm suffering terribly. I gave my slave to you for a wife, but now that she's pregnant, she doesn't respect me at all. She thinks she is the mistress now and treats me shamefully, with none of the honor I deserve. This is all your fault, Abram, because you have done nothing to make it clear where she stands in this family. May the Lord judge between you and me and how you've handled this.'" Let's take a break here. Was Sarai right to blame Abram for all this mess? 
Yeah, kind of. I mean, Sarai was absolutely the one who gave Hagar to Abram for a wife. That was all Sarai's fault. And Abram wanted a son very badly, so I'm thinking he was really relieved that there was at least a plan to make it happen as soon as possible. Abram couldn't say no because she had the right, according to the laws of the time, to force, to, to force him to take Hagar as a wife. But as the patriarch, which means the head dude in charge, Abram was the one who decided where everyone fit into the household. Sarai was telling Abram that he hadn't done anything to make sure that Hagar knew her place in the household. And maybe Sarai wasn't even sure about where Hagar fit in anymore either. Abram had let everyone down, and now he was the only one who could fix it. But what would Abram do? Well, his solution wasn't the greatest. Abram could have gone to Hagar himself and told her that as far as he was concerned, she still belonged to Sarai and still a slave and not a wife. But that's not what happened. No, Abram told the angriest person in the entire household, the most jealous person, that Hagar was still her slave and that Sarai could do whatever she wanted to Hagar. Come on, Abram, really? Did this really sound like a good idea in your head? And, and so angry, jealous, and very ashamed, Sarai went back to Hagar and abused her badly. The word translated as abused is the same word that's used to describe how the Egyptians treated the children of Israel as slaves. And I mean, they were even killing the baby boys at one point. So maybe she was hurting Hagar so much that the baby was in danger. Sarai was too angry and too jealous to have been given permission to do whatever she wanted to do. Abram didn't understand how hard it is not to be able to have a baby and how hard it is to watch younger women have all the babies they wanted. I know that personally. But up to this point, no one was shaming Sarai to her face because she was the second in command. It got so bad that Hagar ran away when no one was looking, out into the wilderness where she would need food and water, but they would probably be about impossible to find. Where was she going? Probably she would head back to the only place she knew, Egypt. What Hagar was doing was incredibly dangerous, so Sarai must have treated her very, very badly. Maybe that was how it happened. Maybe you have another idea. Nobody alive was there, so we will never know. And when we see them in the world to come, it will be too rude to ask. All we know for sure is that Sarai forced Hagar into this mess. And then Hagar was rude and surly to Sarah. Abram wasn't doing anything to settle things down. And then Sarai was given permission to do whatever she wanted. Whatever happened, it was bad, 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 extra bad from start to finish. And it's going to get even worse for 13 more years. So what went wrong? Abram and Sarai weren't patient. They saw an easy way to help God out so that they could have a son to take care of them when they got older. And so they could finally have an heir. But forcing Hagar to have a baby with Abram was not God's plan. God doesn't need help. 
When he makes a promise, it means that he has all the details figured out already. May happen tomorrow or it may take 50 years, but it will happen. Abram and Sarai only had two jobs. Keep following God and become the kinds of people who would be good parents when God gave them the promised child. That's literally all they had to do. But now Hagar is having a baby. And that baby is going to get in the way of God's plans because God wants a baby that is 120% pure miracle. Hagar's baby isn't a miracle because she's very young. And of course, you know, of course she can have a baby. God wants to do something that people will be talking about forever. And look, here we are almost 4,000 years later and we're still talking about it, right? Why does God wait so long before giving us what he's promised? Well, I can only guess that, you know, because I'm not God and everyone should be very happy about that. But I think there are a few reasons. One, he's testing us to see if we really believe him. Two, he's seeing if we will be patient and wait to see how he makes his promise happen. Three, he wants to see if we will do the hard work of making sure that we are ready for it when it happens. Four, he's giving us the time to become humble and to understand that we can't get it for ourselves because we are just not that awesome. Five, he wants all the credit for himself. If God made his promises happen in ordinary ways, people might get the wrong idea that they made it happen themselves or it was just a coincidence. But nope, God loves to show off what he can do, how clever he is and how amazing his plans are. Usually when we get what he's promised, it just seems crazy to us how everything eventually worked out. What he absolutely doesn't want us to do is, one, decide he can't do what he's promising, like, you know, as though he isn't God or something and can't handle it. Two, try to help him out by coming up with a plan to make it all happen earlier and in an easier way. You know, we like to take shortcuts because we hate waiting. Three, get ourselves into trouble by not being ready um, because we made the wrong thing happen at the wrong time and we weren't mature enough to handle it yet. Four, decide that he just can't keep his promises. Five, take the credit for ourselves or to say that he did something for us because we deserved it. Those are all the road to trouble. Abram did believe God, so that was good. But then they got impatient and found themselves a shortcut. And that shortcut's going to end up hurting a lot of people. That shortcut tempted Hagar to become prideful. In the end, God had to fix problems that shouldn't have happened in the first place. He'd made Abram a promise. And Abram should have at least told Sarai that they needed to keep waiting. But we don't even know if Abram told Sarai about the vision of the angel of the Lord at all. When we don't wait, we end up with a mess. I've told you guys about the dream I had 20 years ago where I was surrounded by a hundred children, right? And I didn't know what it meant. Just imagine what would have happened if I'd adopted 98 more kids, trying to make God's promise to me happen. Oh man, let me tell you that I would not have the time to do anything except take care of those kids forever. 
no time for reading all these books and doing all these teachings. And I wondered for a long time, but I did not want to have a hundred kids. So I just kept wondering and I didn't try to make it happen for myself. When God made me a teacher for adults and then a teacher for kids, suddenly it made a lot more sense. And boy, howdy, was I relieved. Honestly, I could just barely handle the twins and they're grownups now. Maybe one day God will make you a promise too. When he does, I want you to remember that you don't have to try to make God's promises happen. And if you even try, you will make one huge mess or maybe more than one. This is actually one of the most important lessons that we can ever learn from the life of Abram and Sarai. The importance of trusting God and waiting and watching to see how he is going to make his own promises happen without any help from us at all. Our only job is to make sure that we're the kind of people who will be able to do that job once it happens. And believe me, that is hard enough. When Jesus was 12 years old and he didn't go home with his parents after Passover, Joseph and Mary were like freaking out. And it took them three days to find him. And where was he? He was in the temple courtyard in Jerusalem with all the famous teachers and scholars talking to them about the Bible. And they were like amazed at his understanding. But Jesus' parents weren't very happy because they had been terribly worried. Jesus was confused because he thought he should be at the temple. After all, it was his father's house. But it wasn't time yet. It wouldn't be time for another 18 years. Jesus didn't sin by staying behind, but he jumped the gun and scared his family to death. When he saw that he had disturbed them, he went back home with them and never pulled anything like that again. And then, one day, Jesus went to his cousin John, who was preaching at the Jordan River and baptizing people. Jesus knew that he was the example that everyone on earth needed to follow, and so he got baptized too. When he did, things started to happen all at once. The heavens above him ripped open and the Holy Spirit came down on him like a dove. And if that wasn't enough, there was a voice from heaven saying, You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Wow. And then the Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness where he had nothing to eat for 40 days and 40 nights. And Satan was tempting him because Satan knew who Jesus was. But it didn't work. It was only after that when Jesus started preaching, teaching, and doing miracles all through the Galilee. Jesus waited 30 years for God's promise to begin, and he did all of his work in less than four years. And there were times when Jesus' disciples thought they were ready to do whatever it took. But when the time came and Jesus was arrested, they all ran away. Peter even said three times that he had no idea who Jesus was. People tend to believe that they're ready when they aren't ready at all. Jesus couldn't have done everything he did while he was still a 12-year-old boy. Peter and the other disciples needed to see Jesus rise from the dead, and they also needed to receive the Holy Spirit on Pentecost before they were ready to teach the world about Jesus. But once they were ready, oh man, were they ready. They did amazing things in the name of Jesus. God doesn't give us the things he promises until we are ready to handle them. Some promises are a lot bigger than others, and so we have to wait longer. But sometimes people grow up and mature so quickly that they're doing amazing things when they are very young. 
It took God a long time to get me shaped up so that I could do what I'm doing now. But I know I still have more to do, and I'm not ready for that yet. Everyone is different. Abram will be a hundred years old when God finally gives him the child he promised, and Sarai, she'll be 90. Moses will try to save the children of Israel 40 years too soon, and he'll kill a man because he isn't ready yet. David had to hide in caves for many, many years before he became the king God promised he would be. Those stories are in the Bible that teach us that just because we don't see the things we're promised doesn't mean that they'll never happen. The time just isn't right yet. I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm very excited to see what God does with each and every one of you because he created each of you to be unique and different from everyone else.